And this uh, this morning we'll finish up in the book of James. And as we, we talk about this this man named James, we'll be in uh, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, so just two verses. We've said multiple times, especially the past few weeks, that, that we could basically call these these series of sermons, we could call the book of James a blueprint to revival. Amen. As it's talked about prayer, as it's talked about sacrifice, as it's talked about being uncomfortable, as it's talked about going through hard seasons, as it's talked about, you know, just the way we, things we should prioritize, of putting God first, of planning with God, with God's plan, not our plan. All these things um, that we have went over just really points and directs the church on the mindset that we should have if we are to be revived, right? Not just a week of services, but experience a revival and a renewal within ourselves, a maturation of our spiritual walk with God and becoming the men and women that He desires for us to be in this season, in this point in time for this community. And the book of James just elaborates on that in a great and an effective way. But we'll be reading these last two verses of the book of James here this morning. And it reads like this. So James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. We'll have it on the screen or you have it in your Bible, whichever works for you. Um, but we'll be talking about faithfully loving. And it won't really make a lot of sense till we get to the very end. But then, then God will, will, will reveal to us uh, what, what that means, what it means to be faithfully loving. Amen. So it reads like this. It says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. I want to start, and this might be a weird time to talk about the goal uh, here at the end of this this talk about the book of James, but I want to start by asking this question. Why are we here? That's a big proverbial question, that people philosophical question that people might ask in everyday life. But I'm talking about Sunday, right? I'm talking about church. I'm talking about, you know, the things that we do with church. Why are we here? And oftentimes we approach church from a very frivolous standpoint. We go to see certain people or we go to be seen by certain people or we go to just get to experience certain things. Sometimes we just go for the food. I've been in that point in history. I'd figure out where the homecomings are, and that's where I felt I needed to go to church that Sunday, right? Um, I don't know if Austin, Megan looking at Austin like he's been there for I don't know. Um, but, you know, I've... I've been there, right? We go for frivolous reasons sometimes. Um, sometimes we just go because we think it's what we're supposed to, um, out of a task or duty, responsibility. But but why do we come? Why do we live this life? Why do we walk this path? Why do we say that we're Christians? Why do we why do we do all these religious things, right? And a lot of times we do have frivolous answers. We have answers and reasons that really don't match up with what God tells us, right? Because we understand that our main purpose is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. If we are disciples of Christ, to be a disciple means to be a follower of Christ. That's why the disciples were called that. Not because it was something in his title, but because it was men that walked with him, that talked with him, that went where he went, did what he did, learned from him. That Christ's priorities and what was important to him became important to the disciples, the followers. So a better question of why, then why are we here would be to ask, why did Jesus say that he came and why was he here? And Luke chapter 19 verse 10 tells us that. This is what he's saying. He's teaching to him, talking to him. This is when he goes to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was up in the tree and he tells Zacchaeus to come down. And, and you know, they, they question him like they always did. They question Jesus about everything, right? You think your child questions you a lot. They question Jesus more than your toddler questions you. 
Everywhere Jesus went, everything Jesus did, no matter who he was talking to, he was talking to the wrong person, to somebody. No matter what kind of ministry he was doing, he was doing the wrong ministry according to somebody. No matter how he was acting, what he was eating, where he was going, somebody was questioning him. And this is what he's, they're doing. They're questioning him. Why do you go to Zacchaeus? Why do you talk to this tax collector? Why do you talk to this man that nobody likes, nobody cares about, that treats people wrong, that does wrong things? Why do you talk to him? And this is what Jesus says. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. So we ask the question, why are we here? We have all the reasons, right? If you ask this on Easter, everybody would be like, well, that's what we do on Easter. We come together as a family. We dress up nice. We get our pictures taken. We hunt for eggs. We eat our dinner. We do this for Easter, and then we go home. We take a nap or whatever. We go to somebody else's family. This is our what we do. We go to Easter because it's the time we go to church. It's a religious thing to do. It's a religious tradition. We ask those questions. Why are you here? This should be the answer. Why are you here? Why do you come to church? Why do you live a religious life? Why do you claim to be a Christian to, that we've come to seek and to save, not to save, but to point them to somebody who can save that which was lost. The goal. The goal. The last two verses that James writes to these people that are in persecution, that are going through difficult times, that are going through torment, some of them that are, that are watching their friends and family be, be executed every day of the week, it seems like for some of them, this is what he writes to them at the last. He goes and he tells him, he says, find those that have seen the truth. Maybe they've experienced the truth in some way, but, but aren't where they need to be. Go find the ones that are in sin and turn to them, basically so that they can be saved. He learned that from Jesus, to go and to seek and to save those which are lost. So this is the goal, right? This is our goal. It should be... Our go. We come to church for a lot of reasons. Like I said, I've come for reasons that are not parallel with that at times, right? You go to church as a teenager because you want to see that little boy or that little girl sometimes, right? Or a young adult, right? That's used to that. That's the only way you could date. You, I don't know what they called it, churching people or going to church. You know, you'd sit beside somebody. And that's the only time you could be with that little boy or girl that you like because mommy and daddy wouldn't let you go anywhere except sit with them on Sunday morning. You'd sneak and you'd try to hold the hand under the hymnal and everything like that where mommy and daddy couldn't see it. You went to church for maybe the wrong reasons. You get older and you go because that's just what you've always done. Or you go because you didn't have anything better to do. Or you go because you like the singing. Or you like this or you like that. That's not the reason we are here. That's not the goal of the life that we live. That's not the purpose of why God has placed us here. That's not why he has gathered this group of people at this certain time in this certain arrangement from different walks of life and different ages and different seasons and different things we're going through. Brought us all together, not just for us just to have a fun time and get, get crazy, but because that we are called to seek and to pray and lead those to Jesus that are lost. This is our... Our goal, right? So then let's talk about this rescue mission, this rescue team. James references to those that wander, right? He says, he's talking about wandering from the truth. And a lot of times somebody might interpret that and say, well, that's, you know, you're talking about somebody that's that's been in church, that's saved, that's so far from God. No. I think back to what James wrote in the first chapter, verses 23 and 24. He talks about looking into a mirror. 
He says, For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. James is talking about seeing the truth, knowing the truth, and then ignoring it, avoiding it, turning away from it. That's what he's talking about. He, he, he kind of he says, I started with this idea. I want to close with this idea. He says, there's some among you that have heard the word, that know the word, that know the truth, but they deny it, right? There's some people that we grew up with, right? We were in school with them all throughout, and they went to church with us, and then they got out of school or they got out of church, right, when they got older. They know what the truth is. They've heard the Sunday school lessons. They've heard the person preach, but they never had an experience with God. There's people who can quote the Bible, that know the Bible frontwards and backwards, that know the Ten Commandments, that live good lives, but have never had a personal relationship with Him. They've seen the truth. They've they've been experienced the truth. They've been offered the truth, but they don't know the truth. We have co-workers and neighbors that know who Jesus is, right? They might have seen the movies and TV. They've seen and read different things in history about this man named Jesus, but they don't know the love of Jesus. That is who James is referring to. He's referring to those that in some way have had some attachment, some association. They've heard the name of Jesus. They've heard the gospel. The truth has been revealed to them, yet they have denied and wandered away from it. They've said, I don't want that truth. That truth's not for me. That sounds nice. That sounds good. That's okay for you, but that's not for me. That can be your truth, but it's not my truth. I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to live by that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look in that mirror... That you show me, when you hold the truth up to me, and you tell me Scripture, and you show me and tell me what Jesus is about, and that Jesus loves me, and that Jesus died for me, I heard it in church, and I've been around it. Let's be honest. We live in the South, in a rural community. You probably could go through this valley, and it would be hard to find 5% of the valley that doesn't know who Jesus is. It's just part of our culture. It's part of our society, especially in the South. We know who Jesus is. They know the truth. But there's some that have denied the truth. That will not accept the truth. They look at the truth and say, that's not for me. And they walk away from it. They wander away from it. Never experiencing it for themselves. And they deny it. And that's who James says to go after. He says, go after those that have seen it. That know it that have been around it, that have been offered it, that have been taught it. And he says, go after them and turn them. Does everybody know what a a rescue team is? I am growing up. I was in the 90s. um, And there was a show called Rescue Heroes. I loved that show. Billy Blaze, Jack Hammer, Wanda Waters, these, these little cartoon characters that would go out and and just fight fires and do these things. I think they've been replaced by puppies now. I'm not sure. I think there's a puppy team that does that basic thing. But I loved it. Had the, had the different action figures and whatnot. And, and just, yeah, they'd have the cars and they'd run around. And you'd, you'd have these rescue missions where you'd pretend like you were going up in the woods to help somebody. You were fighting a fire. Love that stuff. But rescue teams are a real life thing, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a young man that, that went missing out up in the woods, right? Um, he left home from work, didn't get home that evening, and, and they sent out what was rescue teams to search for him, to look for him, because it was important for him to be found. 
So the family cared and the people of the community cared. And there was groups that went out to find that which was was lost. And they found them, right? Something happened to his vehicle. He got stuck and they found him. They got him home. He was safe. I want you to think. The Bible talks about how Jesus would leave the nine and nine to find the one that is lost to bring them back into the into the fold. And I want you to think, if you were lost out in the woods, I mean lost, not just like, oh, I got turned around in some laurel bushes and stuff like that. I need to, I'll get out of here. But you're lost. Days on end, you're lost. But you finally, by the sake of God, miraculously get out. You didn't go to your family and they're like, oh, I didn't even know you are missing. We didn't send anybody after you. Nobody went looking. It was just too cold. Too cold to go out and look for you. We just figured you'd find a way on your own. Just wasn't important. It had been too difficult. I had other things going on, so I couldn't go out and look for you. Glad you made it. Cool. But I, I just, how would you feel learning that nobody went after you? That nobody cared enough to look for you? That nobody cared to go out and try to find you in the state of being lost. Many people in our everyday life, that is what they are daily experiencing from each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, we come across them and they're lost. You know, some it's not even a question. They embrace it. They know they're lost. They'll tell you they're lost. They'll tell you they don't care about the Bible. They don't care about God. Others, you might just become aware of it after a certain amount of time. Maybe the Holy Spirit compels you and tells you that person needs Jesus. But we just allow them to remain lost. It's their choice, but we don't make any effort to to change that, to do anything about it, to compel them to change their ways, to go and find them and, and turn them. We don't. We don't go after them. There's a, um, a magic act in, in Vegas. I've never seen it. Um, but Penn and Teller, right? There's one big guy, he's Penn, and a shorter guy that don't talk, and he's Teller, right? And they do magic. Um, and, and Penn is an um, outright atheist. He, he, said, he very clearly um, says he, he's an atheist. But one, one day somebody asked him about how he felt about people proselytizing, which basically that's just me talking about Jesus, going and inviting people to church, telling them about the gospel, telling them that you know Jesus loves them, that Jesus wants to see them saved, that they don't have to die and go to hell. That's proselytizing, right? And this is what he said. Now, I think this quote is just blows my mind. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell... And not getting eternal life, and you think that's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward? It says, and then there's atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and, and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? And this is from an atheist. Do we believe in heaven and hell the way it is presented in Scripture? Um, heaven is presented as a place of paradise. 
new heaven and a new earth that is created by God Almighty that is that is void of sin and shame and torment and trouble and pain and suffering. All these things do not exist in heaven and new earth. And hell is the exact opposite. The Bible says it's a place where a person that goes there would experience weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth for eternity. Right? They would thirst and never have quenched it. They would die and never perish. That This is the reality of hell. And if we believe it's real, then why would we not compel people to avoid it? Right? If I saw you in a situation that I knew was dangerous, right? I see Harper doing something crazy that a kid does. And I'm like, eh, we'll just let, happens what happens. It's her decision. And I know that what it's going to bring is, is pain and suffering and hurt, maybe even con- loss of life, limitations for the rest of her life. And I was like, oh, okay. Would I be a good father? More than likely, they'd come and take my child away from me, wouldn't they? They'd say, that's not how you parent. That's not how you do things. Why do we, if we believe in heaven and hell, the way it's presented in Scripture, then why do we ignore the importance, the significance, the timeliness of telling people about Jesus? Why do we avoid it so desperately? Some situations. We've all been there, seen somebody in the shopping in the shopping place, Walmart or wherever, and we know that God wants us to talk to them about Jesus. We know they're lost. We know that they're not who, not who they need to be. They're a rough person to be around. And we turn that corner in the aisle and we see them. And it don't matter. All you came for was cereal. And that's the aisle they're in. You will avoid it until they're gone. Instead of talking to them about Jesus. Instead of representing who Christ is in us to them. We go to the other side. We'll leave the store. Say, I don't go to save a lot, but I'll go to save a lot today so I don't have to do that awkward, uncomfortable thing. We do that. Sound familiar? We see somebody anywhere, family. We don't go to events because we know we'll have to talk to them. Right? We don't go to certain places at certain times because we know so-and-so is a cashier there or so-and-so works there, so-and-so is a boss there or whatnot. We don't go through the drive-thru because, oh, that person always works the window and I just don't want to talk to that person so I'm going to go down and get my coffee somewhere else. We avoid the uncomfortable and say, well, they'll figure it out themselves or it's not my responsibility. It doesn't mean anything to me. It's not important to me. They're lost, dying, going to hell. That's the reality. If we believe what we say we believe, then that's the reality. There's no ifs, ands, or buts around it. You can't take part of the scripture and say Jesus is good and forget about the consequences of, of, of sin. Do we want people to go there? Do we want them to end up in heaven with us? Here's James. It's like this Messiah has just revealed himself. All these things are happening. And they're being persecuted and executed for all these things. And he says... Still go after them. Still pursue them. Still go to them. Compel them. Invite them. Ask them. Get them to come to church. Get them to know Jesus. Get them to accept Him. Get them to recognize their need for a Savior. If you do it out in public and you put yourself at risk, do it. If you put yourself in a place where you're going to have to leave home, where your life's going to be taken, do it. Because this is more important. This is more important. We are here to rescue those 
that cannot rescue themselves. We are here to help those that have not accepted the help that has been offered to them. Just because they say no doesn't mean we stop. Just because they, they say, I don't want that, it means that we quit. Just because they say that's not for me doesn't mean that we just say, okay, we tried. You try again, and you try again, and you try again. Because it does matter. And it doesn't. it's not about getting somebody just to come in and get saved so you can have a good time, feel good about yourself. It matters because their eternal life is at stake in this matter. And that's what's important. And there's significance in that. So if it means that we there's hate in not talking to people about Jesus. If there's something bad about not talking, to Je- talking about Jesus to those that are lost and those that are going through things that need to know Jesus, then we need to understand that it's love that leads them. Amen. Looking at this scripture again, at the very end it says, covers a multitude of sins. And I was like, man, that sounds really familiar. I was like, that sounds like, that sounds like it's coming from somewhere else. There's a connection to the scripture. Where does that come from? It's Proverbs 10, verse 12, and it says this. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. See? So, cover multitude of sins. How's that happen? Love covers all sins. Love covers all sins. This, this isn't a verse saying that if you love somebody enough that you can save them out of your own love for them. No, we talked about that in Sunday school. It's crazy how that lined up. It's not saying that if you love somebody enough that they'll, they'll just accept Christ or that Christ will come in with, into them and live with them and they'll be forgiven of their sins because of your love for them, right? We know that the Bible says it's under by no other name that we are saved but by the name of Jesus. But it's by us showing love that they might recognize that Jesus loves them too. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that what? Leads a man to, to repentance. How do they experience the goodness of God? By us living it out in front of them. By us showing them love. By us being the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And love does uncomfortable things, right? Let's, let's just be honest. You marry or you courting somebody, you're in love with somebody, whatever it is, and they ask you to do something like they like to go ride roller coasters, but you're not about roller coasters, right? That's not about you. That's, you're not about that in your life. You, 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 you enjoy being alive, right? So you ain't going to ride no roller coaster. But that person that you love a lot says, won't you ride this roller coaster with me? And you're like, oh, that's very uncomfortable, but I like this little person a lot. I guess I'll ride this roller coaster, right? Do, that's that's why t- we teenagers and young adults do stupid stuff when they're courting because we do uncomfortable things because of love. And when we love other people, like God has commanded us to love other people, then we will do what is uncomfortable to reveal that love to them. That makes sense. When we love other people the way that God has commanded us to love other people, we will do what's uncomfortable to show them that love. What's uncomfortable? Talking to them sometimes. Some of you just talking to somebody is uncomfortable. That's a stranger that you don't know. That's different from you. That's peculiar. That's weird. That's kind of not in your circle of friends. It's hard and uncomfortable for you to even talk to them. Show them the love by talking to them. Maybe having a serious conversation is hard for you. It makes you uncomfortable to talk about life and death stuff like hell and heaven and getting saved and knowing Jesus. But if you love them, you'll do the uncomfortable thing, Right? You'll go to them. You'll witness to them. You'll talk to them. You'll show them the love of God. Love doesn't hold back. 
Love will be honest with you. Love will tell you you need Jesus. Love will tell you, hey, we need to we, you need to recognize that Jesus loves you, that there is a heaven and a hell. Love will do the uncomfortable things. We talked about a couple weeks ago that we don't like being uncomfortable. But to be obedient to God, we are going to have to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. We like to think in church society today that uh, people just are going to drive by the church and uh, just feel a deep compelling and they need to go to church and be saved. That's happened before, right? No doubt. Um, but we don't live in that church, that society anymore where church is viewed with that high of esteem as it used to be. Where people respected the word of God and, and feared God and respected Him the way that they used to. Right? It is our calling, our responsibility, our duty, what God has put before us to go to those that need Jesus. Like it was your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, whoever it is... It, Treat the stranger the same way you would your family because they need Jesus just as much. They need to be saved just as much. They need to know God just as much. They're going to hell just as much as anybody else if they don't know Jesus. So let them know Jesus loves them. From teenagers to old folks, we can always tell somebody about Jesus. We can always invite somebody to church. We can always let them know that Jesus loves them. We can let them know there's an alternative, there's an option, there's another way that they don't have to follow this path. That there's more for them. That Jesus loves them. Love leads people to Jesus. It's love that leads them to Jesus. You don't have to browbeat them. You don't have to to pick at them. You don't have to nag them. You don't have to just be aggressive and mean-spirited. Just love them to Jesus. Love tells the truth. Love is honest. Love does uncomfortable things. But love lead, our love leads them to Jesus. And I want to see people saved. That's the reality of the situation, right? I, I, I'm here as a pastor to see you all grow and to see the lost saved. If that wasn't my purpose, then I shouldn't be here, right? And let's be honest. If that's not your desire, then why are you here? Man, let's be real. I love seeing you. You all look fine and dandy. You cook some good food sometimes when we have dinners. You make me laugh sometimes. But if you're not here to see people saved, then why are we here? If you're not here to grow spiritually, why are we here? If you're not here to prepare yourself to be a witness to those that are lost in the lost and dying world, why are we here? Why are you here? What's this building for? What's the purpose of it? Why, why, do we, why do we pay for the air and the electricity and all the stuff that we do if we're not here to see people saved and come to know God? To see people redeemed and saved and pulled from the miry depths of, uh, depths of hell, then why are we here? Why are we here? We're here to seek those that are lost and lead them to Jesus and lead them to Jesus. Most important thing, most important thing we can do. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'd rather my, my child end up leading people to the Lord and out of the depths of hell than to be president or to be some kind of influential person or have power and authority. I'd rather know that they lived a life that led people to Jesus than any of that. 
And that's what I want for my life, and that's what I want for your all's life, that we lead people to Jesus. You say, well, people don't get saved anymore. That's not true. My home church back uh, back in Irwin had a revival this week, and I, can't, I think they had eight people saved in the revival. Eight people. That's that's redeemed. That hell is not their home anymore. Hell is not the result of where they're going, that they have heaven as a promise. God still saves. God still wants to save. He says it's not His desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to save your family. He wants to save save your loved ones. He wants to save your strength, the neighbors and the strangers and the people that you don't know, right? Ultimately, it's their decision. But have you tried to lead them? You can't make a horse drink water. I think there's a euphemism right there, right? You can't. You can lead a horse to water. There it is. Got it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But if you don't ever lead it to water, it doesn't get a chance to drink. I added that second part if you didn't know that. Okay. That's my version. There's a lot of horses that need water and may even be willing to drink it if somebody would just lead them to it. If somebody would just lead them to it. Let's lead them to the water. Can't make them drink. It's our decision. We've got to come to terms with that. We've got to accept that. That's the reality. But we still are supposed to lead them to water. You can say, well, so-and-so will never get saved. Have you let them? Have you led them to water? So-and-so will never change. Have you tried to lead them to the water? So-and-so will never break down. They'll never let their walls down. They'll never be any different. That's who they are. That's who their mommy and daddy were. It's how they were raised. They're hard. They're mean-spirited. Did you try to lead them to water? Yeah. Have you tried to lead them to water? Let's lead them to water and then just see what God does. Lead them to water and just see what God does. Man, I love the story in, in, in Scripture where Jesus goes and there was a pool, the Bible says. We'll close with this. Uh, there's a pool where the Bible says that there's a certain season that an angel would come down and trouble the waters, right? And there was a man, he said he'd been there for years and years and years trying just to get in the water. He said, there's always somebody that gets there first. Because he said, I don't have anybody to help me get there. I don't have any way to get to the water. And Jesus came and he said, I basically, in my terms, I am the water. I am the water. Let's take him to the water. Let them do what they're going to do. But at least try to get them to water. Amen. It's a responsibility. It's our calling. It's what God has given us to do. It is our goal to bring them to the water. The only way we can do this is by leading them through love. Doing what's uncomfortable, being honest, but lead them through love. Amen. This is how James closes it. It's how he closes his book. We don't see anywhere else. James has a writing in the Canaanized Bible, right? I'm sure he talked to other people, wrote other things, but this is, this is it. This is his writing. And he closes it by compelling them. No matter what uncomfortable, distressful, even dangerous thing may await you, go find them and help them see the need to turn to Jesus. And that's how he closes it. And that's how he ends it. That's how we'll close it. No matter what is trying to prohibit you from going to somebody, 
your uncomfortableness with social situations or talking to certain people or being around people, whatever it may be, don't let you stop that from leading them to water. Don't let that stop you. Amen.